everyone. It's Judy Warner. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's Ecosystem Podcast Launch. I hope you've enjoyed all the incredible guests and the technical content we've provided to you this week. Today is our fourth and final day of what I've been calling the IMS Pre-Game Blitz. That's in celebration of the IEEE International Microwave Symposium Conference that takes place next week in Denver. I will be there gathering more great guests for you, learning more about products that I can bring back your way when I return. But I won't be with you next week. So we're going to be dark for one week, but we'll see you the week after. Today we have a new sponsor, Keysight Technologies. So thank you so much to them. And thank you that they bring so much great technical content to keep you at the top of your game and abreast of all the new trends and technology topics. To that end, they've lent us today, Matt Ozales, who is the Master Application Development Engineer and Scientist from Keysight. He has been both a hardware engineer and he's worked on the EDH side of Keysight, and he brings a really fascinating integrated approach to hardware development and test and measurement. I think you're really gonna enjoy this one. He talks a little bit about wafer level packaging as well and what an enabler that is. And particularly he talks about what's driving high frequency applications and how some rules of thumb don't apply anymore, but he gives you hints on how to do it better and how to stay abreast of all this changing. We hope you've enjoyed this week. Now let's jump into our conversation with Matt Ozales of Keysight Technologies. Hi, Matt. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your your technical wisdom and knowledge with us. We're so glad to have you this week. Thanks, Judy. It's good to be here. Well, I thought, uh, you know, again, this week on the podcast, I've been calling it the IMS pregame blitz. And so you're at the tail end of the blitz. I know you're going to be at IMS, but doesn't sound like you're going to see the light of day because you're going to probably be in meetings and it's presentations. It's a very busy time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's your big show of the year, right? And so um, I thought I'd get you on on the podcast and talk a little bit about some of the interesting work that you do. But before we get started, why don't you give our listeners um, a sense of your um, background, how you went from being a power amp designer to you know, living and breathing in the Keysight uh, EDA space. Sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, as you mentioned, I've done power amplifier buyer design for a long time. I started out my career doing sort of more, you know, higher frequency, more simulation based power amplifiers. And eventually I got into commercial amplifiers really around the same time that phones were taking off, you know. So when I started my career back in the early 2000s, I don't want to date myself and sound too old, but when I started my career in the early 2000s, um, you know, phones weren't very exciting things. They were like these bricks and not very interesting at all. And then so I sort of worked through this whole transition into smartphones and all of those things and developing products yeah. that were going into these these types of phones. So I've, th- I've seen things change pretty dramatically throughout over the course of my career. And yeah, as you mentioned, at some point, I, I transitioned from being like a hardware designer to going into the, the EDA and modeling space. So what I mean, power amplifiers were kind of an interesting thing for me. What, and it may not seem that exciting, you know, it's just another amplifier in the system, but they're really fascinating when you start to dig into them because they, Mm -hmm. they just don't behave very nicely. The traditional amplifiers are very linear. You sort of bias them up and the signals are so small that you can treat the transistor as this linear block, which basically means you just multiply the, you know, the signal times some amplify factor and you get the output. But for a power amplifier, 
and I think a lot of people run into these in audio systems. Like we're, we're using them right now in our audio, our voice system. And if you think about okay. it, if you plug in like a headphone to a headphone jack, you get a really small signal. It doesn't take much energy. But when you, if you want to have like a concert or something, you need, you can have a big speaker. You need yeah. a giant power amplifier to make that where you can't just take a huge speaker and plug it into like your headphone jack. And the difference between those two scenarios is uh, you have a much bigger power amplifier in the concert or if you're trying to do a public right. address type of a thing. And to do that, I mean, if you think about what that actually does, it's taking you have some kind of DC energy or maybe like you plug it in. So there's a power supply and it's converting that to your voice signal. It's boosting. It's taking that energy from the low frequency and it's boosting your voice and uh, or whatever music you've got. And mm -hmm. so in doing that, it's it's performing sort of an energy conversion. And that energy conversion has a fit, you know, it, it, it requires the transistor to sort of swing into its its region where it's not so ideal anymore. It's no longer linear. And it also leads to all these problems with like heat. You know, it gets really hot because whatever energy you're not putting into your, you know, you're not transferring into your signal, that gets burned up as heat in your transistor and it causes all kinds of, you know, awful things to happen. So these things are just incredibly complicated. And then when you go into a wireless communication system, instead of taking, you know, having a big speaker, you're really, you're, you're kind of moving the electromagnetic waves in the atmosphere. So you're, you know, at higher frequencies, it's doing exactly the same thing, except that with an antenna, you're sort of bubbling out this electromagnetic energy instead of moving, you know, the, the air molecules to make sound. So I've, I found them incredibly fascinating. So I started out doing the, the hardware and the production level stuff. And really, I mean, spent a lot of time in the lab. And one of the things I noticed as the standards were evolving was just how important modeling was becoming. And it, you know, mm. when I first started out, like you couldn't model everything correctly. It never worked right. And it, it was always just this really basic prototype that you could build. And then you'd have to go right. in the lab and it's like, okay, well, we know simulation doesn't match measurement. We just have to, it's a good guide and we'll just try to work our way around it. Well, by the time I switched over to the EDA business, we were predicting like almost the entire performance of our part out of the box. Like we didn't even have to do anything. We'd get it back and it would mostly work, which is a huge advantage. And I realized how profound that was, I think, yeah. um, which has caused me to uh, want to go into this EDA business and really work on modeling because it's such an enabler across the bigger industry. You know, to be able to do these sorts of things mm -hmm. are very, very powerful and move uh, the, the entire yeah. industry and technology forward. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, to your point, it's so much more painful if you have to troubleshoot from the back end. I mean, there's a hole you got to pay for a board and parts and then go. That is painful. It's too expensive. And, you know, the my podcast goals is kind of be that a little more system-based approach, which I really like um, the things I've learned about you is that Keysight's really embraced that and getting that coupled much tighter between really good modeling and performance. And that's got to just take out a lot of pain and enable high, high performance, which, you know, our whole electronics are ubiquitous. They're everywhere. Right. Um, so the impact's massive. So, okay, well, that's interesting. I kind of think that's a really unique um, perspective that you must have going from hardware design and doing it sort of the old way yeah. and then being part of the front. You know, I say old, but Matt, I'm way older than you, so oh, I don't want to hear about, about the 2000s. Um, but that you bring that hardware development intelligence 
to the EDA space, I think gives you a really unique uh, perspective. And again, as we go into IMS, we're sort of focusing on the wireless, you know, RF microwave, millimeter wave. What are kind of some trends you're noticing, you know, right now in that wireless place and how that's driving that sort of interdisciplinary mindset between the hardware and the software? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, at the risk of sounding too like vague on these trends, I would say, you know, two things are happening really frequencies are increasing. We're moving to higher frequencies. And that's a really general term, but it's it's very true. You know, it's and it's largely driven by bandwidth, right? So mm. one example I like to use is a car. If you go back maybe 15 years or something and you think, well, what's the the highest frequency thing I've got in my car? It might be your radio. It's probably your FM radio, right? Wow. So that's at a couple hundred megahertz. And now if you if you go in, you know, if you buy a new car, you you know, some of these cars can like parallel park for you. They can even drive for you. There's all these interesting things. Well, that's at millimeter wave frequency. That's like, you know, 60, 70 or more, even into the hundreds of gigahertz for some yeah. of these sensors. That's a tremendous increase in frequency. So, so it's in some ways it's driven by the sensor technology. It's also driven by bandwidth, right? You can transmit more information mm-hmm. at higher frequencies as well. So that's one, everything's moving to higher frequencies. The second piece is just the level of complexity of the system is, is increasing yeah. exponentially like of course all these things increase in a sort of a linear scale but i think they've really gone exponential very I recently so. and so with with you know coming back to the car it's the same thing you know think about how much more complex a system to make a self-driving car is think about how much more information has to be in there and how how much the electronics at the pieces of that system really need to work together to to make the car drive so that it doesn't you know crash into a light post or something Um, yeah so so that that complexity is is driving our customers in the industry the the people that i work with on a daily basis they think about this all the time now they don't think oh my gosh you know frequencies are increasing but these this just percolates through everything they do and i think if you even step back past those two things and say well what is this what is this causing you know what is it making making them do well you know, if you're down at the in a couple hundred megahertz region and you were trying to make a piece of hardware, you can like basically get it working. You know, you can you can put a couple chips together and connect them up and like turn it on and it'll kind of work. And you can go in the lab and, you know, probably hash out the the details if you're really experienced. When you go up to millimeter wave frequencies, you go from like a couple hundred megahertz up to, you know, 30 gigahertz or something. All of a sudden, like you can't just put these things together and make them work anymore. They're not going to work, you know? And so. Yeah. And all the rules change, right? I had John Coonrod from Rogers that, you know, they make RF laminates and he was saying how much pain that's causing is because designers, hardware designers are now designing at millimeter waves and they're using sort of, they don't know how different the rules are. Are you seeing that as well as like all the rules being changed once you go up to that? Yeah, frequency? I mean, the fundamental something that I, I think is is really fundamental about it or the way I describe it is, you know, if you think about antenna size, right? So what's an antenna? Well, it's related to a wavelength. It's some some fraction of a wavelength. And so when you're down at, you know, lower frequencies and you're building these tiny little chips, the metal on those chips is a really small fraction of the wavelength. So it's not going to be like an antenna. But when you start going up to millimeter waves, like the antenna sizes really shrink. Now, all of a sudden you can put like phased Mm -hmm. arrays on, you know, a little dime. So, 
It's crazy. So, so, you know, the antennas are small and that means that on your chip, you have a bunch of little antennas everywhere now. And that's the difference between the low frequency and high frequency. So every structure and in, in, in your packaging and your board, everything you design is basically an antenna at these higher frequencies. And that makes it really challenging. I mean, you, you can't just like wire a circuit together anymore. Then, and that's, I think that's the difference that low frequency is a wire is basically a wire. It connects to, right. you know, the, the input signal comes in and it basically comes out the same way at high frequencies. That same little tiny wire will distort your signal beyond belief. You can't even beyond resolve it belief. anymore. Yeah. I mean, so. It's, and then how do you track that down? You know who the problem child is. Yeah, right? there's so much interconnection of technology. I mean, that's another another thing that's happening is that there's technologies that are being stacked and interconnected so much more. You have to do that to make things to make these. You know, back to those systems. We talk about the complex systems. Well, if you have complex systems, it means you can't do. You know, it's not as easy to do everything on like one chip or one technology anymore. Now you start to, um, yeah, brick together functional blocks. You know, and so that that also yeah. makes it hard. Well, that brings me to to want to ask you about um, some things I've seen in your material, which is wafer-level packaging. And I kind of am just learning about it. And you could probably teach me more. And I know for sure you could teach our listeners more about wafer-level packaging. Can you tell us how that kind of comes into play here? Sure. Uh, wafer-level packaging is, you know... Instead of, so traditionally, you would manufacture a chip and you'd, you know, you'd send your design off to the fab. They would build your chip. They'd make a wafer. They'd dice it up, test everything, send it back to you. And then you either you get a tweezers or you've got a machine and you put it on some board or some package and then you connect everything together on this package. Yeah. So wafer level packaging is instead of instead of doing the, the packaging part and assembly, back at your location or where, you know, wherever you are, you know, it happens at the fab. So there's, there's right. two types of wafer level packaging and it's one is what we call fan in. It's kind of just like an additional process step. So you make your chip and then on top of your chip, you put um, a passivation layer and then you can put additional metal to route it out to, you know, little bumps. And they're just these little metal bumps are mm -hmm. on there, you know, usually gold or something. And then you can, you can put that down and solder it onto something. Or the other way you can do it is you can take all the wafers and you can build what's kind of a sacrificial wafer. So it's bigger than the original one and you kind of place them down with space and then you can reflow material into there and build these metal interconnects. That's called fan out. So you see those, typically right. those are like ball grid arrays. So when you see those chips right. with a whole bunch of little, you know, micro bumps on there, those are ball grid arrays. So it makes the, once you get into this packaging environment, then there's all these other things you can do. In there, you can do, for example, you can test, you can run all your testing at the at the wafer level. You don't need to oh. bring everything back and assemble it and test it. Um, it's also, it can be dramatically cheaper to do this. And you can even get higher performance if you're good at what you're doing, if you know what you're doing. Yeah. So I know that's something interesting enough at Keysight because you do the EDA side and you do the instrumentation side and you do, you, you guys have, are obviously designing your own hardware internally. So are you then using wafer level packaging in your own products and kind of how did that come about and what, what's that doing to, to you as a, a, a you know, bringing that hardware and software 
those worlds together, which is kind of how we, where we started. Yeah, Keysight, at this point, we're kind of a rare company, I think, in that sense that we do both, we make this these EDA tools, we're a pretty big player in the EDA space, and also an even bigger player in the test and measurement space. So mm-hmm. we're one of the few companies now that does hardware and design software at the same time, Yeah, which is a real, I, I think it does, it is an advantage for us because we can, on the, on the software side, we can work with those folks who are developing hardware and the same, the reverse is true. People who are making hardware can help to dictate the direction of the software as well. So yeah, we use wafer level packaging. So we have a, our own fab in Keysight and we, we make our own chips for our, oh. for our instruments and the reason we do that is because we can build really, really high performance uh, parts in our own fab as opposed to trying to buy them on the market oh, or that's something. That's interesting. I didn't know that about you guys. Yeah. Where I, is your Where is your fab? It's in Santa Rosa. It's, and in fact, right now. Really? Yeah. So, so it's in Santa Rosa wow. and we're, you know, we're expanding it and, and, and doing all these, these interesting things in the fab. But one thing that we've started to experiment with because we've got assembly and things like that is wafer level packaging. So if you... If you crack open one of our, our oscilloscopes, like I think the example I would take would be the, the Infinium uh, UXR scope. I don't know if your listeners are familiar with that one, but if you take it apart, you know, an old version of that, you'll see this traditional packaging. So we have our chips in there, right? Then these front ends. And then we have like all of this interconnection. We have these big, this big brass board and there's traces on there. And so the chips are like bonded onto the traces and we do all our matching and filtering and things like that on the traces and then connect multiple chips together that way. So you can imagine, I mean, these things are, are assembled. I mean, certainly in the proto stage, they're assembled by hand. Someone is dropping them on. And then we have machines that are eventually able to assemble these things. And, you know, I, I'm, when I was going back to school, you know, back in the, you know, back when I was an undergrad, we learned about microwave circuits and it was all about like transmission line matching. So you can build these right. really nice, 50 ohm, you know, really well matched transition yeah, yeah. Uh, transmission lines, really low loss. And so these shims that we make, they're like aluminum nitride shims. They're very nice transmission lines. You can get, you can machine these really mm. great transmission line structures on there. So you can do matching and filtering in the traditional way. They've also got like, we bond everything. So if you want to make a small adjustment, you can like change the length of the wire, you know, stuff like that. So that's, that's all great, except it's really time consuming and actually pretty expensive to do that. And Mm. maybe the, one of the most expensive pieces on it is because everything's spread out. We have all these chips, you know, back to that idea about antennas being everywhere. Well, then we have to isolate everything. So we have to put this big brass, you know, piece of metal on the board to try to keep all of the different parts from cross-talking with one another, basically. So a few years back, we, um, one of our teams in, in Keysight Labs, investigated this idea of wafer level packaging and mainly with with the the thought of being able to reduce cost and so um what they found was they were they would be able to achieve essentially a 60 percent reduction in cost for these fronts that is a tremendous amount of reduction in cost huge going up to you know into the gigahertz region um into you know 20 30 plus gigahertz and at the same time maintain at least the same performance in some cases achieve better performance by doing that and wow. and that was done using wafer level packaging, right? So they, you know, essentially they were able to, of course, outsource the test. So some of the things I talked about before, but there were also some unexpected things that that came up. I mean, uh, one example. Always. Yes, yes. So <laughs> so the, one example is you know um, bond pads. So we, if you want to put a wire, you want to connect a chip to your board, 
or your 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 bigger structure, you use wires. Well, if you look at the pads, you need to land a wire on the pad, and it has to be a certain size. But well, that has parasitic capacitance. And if you go to this yeah. smaller packaging, you can reduce the size of that. You can reduce the parasitic capacitance and therefore reduce the loss at higher frequencies and make up some of the loss. Um, I see. So it required a bit of a, a, a change in thinking, I would say, internally, though, to do it, um, which was it's a challenge. always those darn trade-offs that'll get you. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, the the thing, the thing, so back to my point about, you know, transmission lines and how it makes me, you know, as an, as a traditional microwave designer, I feel great designing with transmission lines. I know how to do that. Everything is, seems to be well behaved. You know, when you go to a wafer level packaging, now you don't have transmission lines anymore. It's just these interconnects and they're traveling through technologies. And right. so that traditionally what we call that in high frequency design is a parasitic. That's like, and a parasitic has this connotation of this is an unwanted effect, right? Yes. We, we were trying to get rid of this thing. Mm-hmm. Let's cancel yeah. this out, this parasitic. And right. that that turned out, you know, that's not an effective way to approach some of this advanced packaging technology because you it's simply a part of the design. And if, if you if you look at it like something that okay. you want to cancel, you're not going to get the true benefit of of the technology. So I see. And so I I assume that you're modeling for that. It's a known issue that you just allow for as part of your design flow, I would imagine. Or or if you can model, and the key is, of course, modeling. And if you can't model it, then yeah. you're really stuck and it really is something that's yes. going to degrade your performance. But when you have control of it, when you're able to model it at, at such a level um, where it's easy, you can actually make it part of your design process. So when you're designing your circuits, mm. you can not, not just account for the parasitic, but actually take advantage of the parasitic. Like we we're talking about the you know, the capacitive pad, you can, right. if you realize, well, wow, I can, I can reduce the loss by shrinking this pad. Or, you know, we've also seen scenarios where you can improve isolation pretty dramatically by hmm. putting ground structures between these, these pins on your package. So, you know, when you start to look at that, then there's other things that can come out of circuit design. And the key to being able to do that is you've got to be able to model it. And that's, that comes down to at high frequencies, electromagnetic modeling, really. Because right. aren't wires, yeah, which is you know where I suppose ADS and some of the other pathwave offerings come in. Um, you mentioned something to me about, and you're going to have to help me recall. Is is this sort of the point you wanted to talk about when it came to instability of circuits, or was that another issue you were referencing? Yeah, well, one thing that happens at high frequencies is you know. I think there's this this bigger trend. I think we we were sort of talking about that before, where um, you know there's this rediscovery in the industry. A lot of things in this industry go back to you know maybe even eighty or a hundred years, and and you have to sort of as the technology evolves, you develop these rules of thumb, and then you you rediscover. Then you you know something changes, and that rule of thumb breaks, and you've got to go back and right. figure out what happened. So with yeah. um, the the stability is one example of that. You know we there's there's this traditional k factor that works pretty well for a certain type of design but what's if you think about really what an instability is when you, what you learn in in undergraduate electrical engineering instability really comes about from gain and feedback so if you combine a gain block with a feedback block you can create an instability basically you can create a scenario where the the signal that comes back in 
is the same as the signal that's out. And then it adds in phase constructively and sort of blows up. <laughs> so, um, so the point I'm trying to make here is really that when you move the higher frequencies, well, what happens? You need more gain. I mean, you have to have more gain in the transistor to get, if you want gain at, you know, 30 or 50 gigahertz, you need to have a heck of a lot of gain at a couple hundred megahertz on a transistor. That's just the way it works because the gain rolls off with frequency. At the same time, these systems are really complex. What does that mean? Everything's packed together really tightly. So there's more feedback. Yeah. So there's more gain and more feedback. And that that sort of forces um, the traditional measures of stability to get thrown out the window. Now you've got to start over. And the, for me, I, I did some diving into this area. And it was interesting because I went back and I read a book from, I think it was like the 1940s by, by Bodhi, yeah. his original work. And it's amazing <laughs> because all this stuff gets laid out. Now it's all vacuum tubes. So you have to, you have to kind of reapply it to transistors, but you can take some of those original techniques and now apply them to these high frequency types of designs to solve problems that, that are, that are coming up because we're evolving technology basically. So going back to the original works to yeah. evolve the technology forward. Yeah. And it's hard, you know, for people like our listeners to keep up. Yes. Right. Like, it's like, wait, that worked last week, but now I'm in a different frequency and the rules don't apply. And then it's like, what happened? And, you know, in on this, yeah, I've been on the EDA side too, and they used to call it whack-a-mole, right? Yeah. They'd fix one thing and then something over there would break and then they'd hit that and something over here would break. And the one thing, I've appreciated, and I think a lot of people have appreciated about Keysight, is the volume of technical resources y'all come out with, right, to try to help educate and plug some of those gaps. So um, I'm going to share some stuff in the show notes, Matt, but is there like some, particularly this subject matter, or I know you have a bunch of content on YouTube, which I'll definitely point to that. Is that the best place for our listeners to go maybe onboard some of that knowledge or what? You got so much content. Yeah. You, I, you need to tell me where to point so I can <laughs> yeah, so we have, help I, give our listeners some of that information. We have kind of the main the main web page for our Pathway uh, design products. And yep. so we, so that is a pretty good launching point, but yeah, we've okay. got video content, um, lots of application notes, all sorts of examples, tutorials, things like that, because as you say, it's, it's very complex. So I think that's a, that's a pretty good place to, to get okay. started as well. Okay. And we've I'll also do webinars. Point. So, uh, there's okay. webinars, I, all that stuff is accessible from our webpage. Okay. So for our listeners, I will get the link to the pathway page and, do you have like a resource tab that sort of stacks all that stuff? Under? Yeah, I think you can uh, find that there's different sections for depending on what type of design you're doing, whether it's high frequency or digital, and then it'll I get see. you, it's pretty easy to find the right. Um, okay. Okay, good. All right. I'll definitely point to that. And then also I know, cause I've been at IMS many, many times, I actually, um, I've sat on the steering committee, the publicity committee for IMS in the past, and I know Keysight always has a giant presence there, and ADS always plays a prominent place there. Um, I will also point to uh, Keysight has a whole IMS page, so if you're going, it'll help you navigate. If you're not going, you can tap into some of that technical um, content. Matt, is there any other places you might want to point our listeners to onboard some more of this complex subject you're unpacking for us? 
Yeah, I mean, I think, as I said, I think you can find a lot of it from our webpage, but okay. um, the YouTube channel is really great. That we, I think we've got a lot of interesting videos up there okay. that, that talks about that and even some of the demos. So we'll record some of the demos from IMS. I'm sure we'll do that this year because there's not, a, you know, I think there's not as many people going as maybe there have been in the past. So you'll see like demos from IMS and interviews. If you can't make it to the show, that's a pretty good place to look. Yeah, so I was poking around that page the other day and just wanted to let our listeners know that they will have a virtual booth with my friend Carmina, I think, is helping host that. Yeah. And then also I saw, which is really cool, there's um, two people hosting, like from the show floor, a 5G podcast. Awesome. So I'll also link to those resources so if you're not able to go. But if you are going, make sure you go by the booth and check out what they've going on and, and some of the stuff that Matt and I have been talking about. Hopefully you can see up close and get your hands on. Um, Matt, this has been a fascinating discussion. I hope I can talk you into coming back again. Sure. And, Sounds great, Judy. And, yeah, it's been a very good okay. discussion. Thank you. Well, have a good time of the show. I know I won't see you. You'll be behind closed doors or giving presentations or whatever, but I'm sending you positive thoughts and, and best wishes on a successful show. And thanks again for joining right, us thanks, today. And you enjoy the show as well. Thank you. To our listeners, thanks so much for joining us today. This is the final day of our IMS pregame blitz. I hope to see you at IMS. Please connect on LinkedIn to myself or Matt. Go check out all the show notes where we'll send you to those Keysight resources and hopefully fill up some of those gaps that maybe you're feeling you have. Thanks again for joining. We'll see you next week. Until then, remember to always stay connected to the ecosystem. 